Today's episode is brought to you by O Yoga, offering over 50 classes a week between their two studios in downtown Syracuse and DeWitt, New York. There are opportunities throughout every day to find your center and allow your mind to turn inward and examine the abilities of your body. O Yoga offers all levels of classes from beginner workshops to hot and sweaty vinyasa flow classes. Come find the right class for you by signing up for the two-week new student unlimited membership for $25 and take as many classes as your heart desires. Our world is a truly amazing place. It is full of wonder, beauty, and amazing people, most of which we will never see. I am Tyler, and along with my wife Tiffany, we are Ohm Travelers. Our goal is to see the world, create amazing experiences in our life, and meet as many inspirational people out chasing their dreams as we can. This show is my opportunity to bring their stories to you so we can all share in the lives, inspiration, and awesomeness that we seldom hear about in those around us. Please join us here and at Home Travelers on Instagram and be a part of our journey. Namaste. businessman. Most people only know parts of Eric's story, and although we don't cover him cover to cover today, he does offer a lot of information about his path to following his dreams and continually creating a life that he sees as his dream. I apologize for all the background noise. My first offer to my guests is to allow them to choose the place where we meet. Eric's choice was one of his restaurants, a favorite of mine, Original Grain, in the heart of downtown Syracuse. OG has a hip 80s, 90s, cool kid, big boombox on the shoulder kind of vibe with nicely done graffiti and skateboards that make up the decor. The music was a little loud, so we escaped to a hallway in the Pike Block, which is a historic grouping of buildings that have recently, recently been redone and filled with apartments and commercial space. So, listen beyond the echo, occasional garbage can wheeling by and people chattering in the background, and enjoy this episode. One final note. Make sure to visit the podcast section of our website, www.omtravelers.com, to see the show notes from today and check out some of the people and products Eric mentions in today's talk. Again, omtravelers, omtravelers.com, and check out the podcast section. Thank you very much, and enjoy what Eric has to say. I'm here today with Eric Hinman, uh, who's been a friend of mine for many years. Part of the reason why I've gotten into CrossFit and kind of consumed the Kool-Aid on, on that end. But Eric and I met about probably, I would say, 12 or so years ago um, when he was living here in Syracuse, New York, and he had a Christmas party, and I got invited to that 
and uh, that's how he and I met initially. And he was at a very different point in his life then than he is now. And watching what he's done over the last, well, I mean, really, probably five years, but definitely started back then, 12 years ago, has just really been uh, amazing for all of us to watch where you, what you were doing, where you've come from. And so I want you more or less, uh, we'll start from the beginning and where you grew up. And, and I just want to let you tell your story and help other people, you know, who, who like myself, who have dreams and want to chase them, but don't really know the, the steps to get there. So welcome to the podcast and Kind of just start me from where you grew up, and, and we'll start there. Sounds good. Thanks, Ty. Appreciate you having me. Uh, so it all started in a small town, upstate New York, Pulaski, which uh, is pretty much just known for salmon fishing and snowmobiling, um, and that's what I grew up doing, along with playing sports. Um, I went to college at Geneseo, up near Rochester, for business management. And I grew up in a family uh, that was hardworking, and I watched my mom work long hours as a school teacher, and I watched my father manage a small insurance company. And, you know, they taught me at an early age that um, you can create your own destiny, anything is possible, and, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. So, you know, that really resonated with me from a young age. Uh, after school, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but my father gave me an opportunity to sell property and casualty insurance for his insurance company. So I lived in Oswego for one year after graduating from college and then moved to Syracuse. And the first seven or eight years of my career was spent in a car driving all around New York State, uh, soliciting small businesses for property and casualty insurance. So um, right out of school, it was pretty much entrepreneurship, just sales and creating my own, my own destiny. And I'm so fortunate that my father gave me that opportunity early on because it's paved the way for everything else that I've uh, involved myself in. So when you went to work for your dad, had that always been something that you had thought dreamed, thought about doing, wanted to do? I mean, having a family business is something, I mean, I know from my personal experience growing up, it's something that I had always thought about doing. So explain that a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew I wanted to own my own business just because I saw my father in a leadership role, in a managerial role, and I've always been very competitive, more so with myself than against others. and. I knew in business that the only way that I could really create my own destiny and compete against myself was to do something on my own. So yes, I knew that I was eventually going to own my own business, but I had no idea what that was going to be. I didn't really envision myself landing in the insurance world, but it was an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. And you know, again, I'm so glad that, uh, that I took it. Um, you know, it wasn't a passion other than building a business that was a passion of mine so I really enjoyed the whole process of you know, building a brand, the sales aspect to it, gaining customers and then understanding all of the back-end stuff, the accounting and um, just building a residual book of business and residual income. Now do you still have anything to do with that with that business? Is that, is that still part of your world? Is you live today? Yep, it's still part of my world. Uh, I'm not actively involved in it anymore. I have someone who manages the day-to-day -day for me, Judy and Pulaski, uh, but I still own it. I'm the sole owner and I still have clients all across New York State. Okay, so 12 years ago, in the insurance business, 
living in Syracuse, in sales, running around. At what point did your life kind of, I guess, begin to change or what was it that, um, I guess maybe even back then there wasn't one specific thing that led you down where you are now, but so what, at what point did you start to realize that the insurance wasn't for you and, and where did I, where did the change start to happen? Mm-hmm. So phasing out of insurance was gradual. It was my baby and I controlled all aspects of it for seven years. Um, I was glued to my Blackberry at the time. I couldn't go on vacation without just constantly you know, talking to clients and I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to be really hands-on. Um, you know, with any business, customer service is paramount and you have to figure out how you can provide more value than the next person in order to maintain clients uh, to differentiate yourself. So it was really, really difficult to phase out of it, but I was losing interest in the day-to-day. Like I love creating things and once things are on autopilot, once it's mainly just, you know, paperwork and maintaining, uh, that's when I know it's time for me to move on to the next thing. So, you know, that it was a lot of just learning what makes me tick. And that was my first time of starting to delegate, automate and eliminate things so I can move on to the next project. So, um, fitness came a little bit later, but the second, uh, kind of chapter in my entrepreneurial career was software. And I started that business with Steve on D called app fury in uh, late 2009, early 2010. And that was also my introduction into pursuing passion projects that eventually would turn into a business. Um, So that was a mobile software development company building mobile applications for trendy areas of major cities to help tourists find uh, different retailers, hotels, restaurants. It was really early in the app revolution and you know, we just we saw that trend that more and more people were going to be using their cell phones for absolutely every aspect of their life. So, um, as I transitioned into software, I hired someone who started managing my insurance business, and I started giving up the the reins to that. And it was like a drug for me, and um, I started to realize the importance of delegation. And slowly, I started delegating pretty much everything that. Um, someone else could do and probably do better than me so that I could do only the things that that I can do. Um, So that freed up time for me to start this software company that later turned into a 20-person organization called Rounded. What was the transition like from, let's go back to the insurance for a second, from you doing everything, like you were just saying, to starting to be able to let that go? Was that, I know for some people, especially, especially in the case of a family business, it can be extremely hard to start to let some of the power go and place the trust in other people's hands in order to either make the business grow or further other aspects of your life. A lot of people let family go, let friendships go in order to stick with the career. You've done the opposite where you've said, okay, I need to let more of the this for right now, this career go to further the other things in my life. So was that a, tell me about that. Was that a tough transition for you or was it so hard? Yeah, it's so hard. Just like anything, um, you have to do it in order to understand 
how to, to do it and it just becomes easier. The more you do it, the easier it becomes, just like risk taking. The more risks you take, the easier taking risks become. Um, so I thought that I was the only reason why I had insurance clients. You know, I was the face of it, I was the person they dealt with and you know, as my, uh, the person who manages my insurance business, Judy, she started interfacing with the clients. I realized that, oh my God, you know, she can do this just as well as I can, if, if not better. And, you know, I really enjoyed the, the sales part of it, creating customers, creating the brands. Um, that was really my value add as opposed to managing the clients and dealing with customer service. So, you know, as I realized more of what she was capable of doing for me, I learned that lesson in every other business that, you know, okay, I'm not going to be involved in customer service anymore. I'm, I'm going to be involved in the things that only I can do and, and only things that I think I can do best. So, um, but yeah, not easy. You have to do it. You, you can't, you can't say you're going to do it. You have to do it. And then once you start delegating, once you start automating things, once you start eliminating things, you start going through life thinking about that. So now, I mean, that's my job is I delegate things rather than doing a lot of things um, and that's a skill that you have to acquire by delegating often okay so the first jump was from insurance to software mm -hmm. now what got you were you a gadget guy or what how, and, and how did you and your business partner come together mm -hmm. and what I mean that's a big that, that those are two very different things mm -hmm. so how to explain your process with that Yep, so I am a gadget guy. Uh, I'm an early adopter. I love technology, whether it's for fitness, whether it's my phone. I, I always am on top of the latest and greatest. Um, and also I love design, uh, both like software design as well as physical design. So I had no experience with software development, um, but I had experience with selling. You know, that was, that was my role in the insurance company was selling policies. So I knew I could deal with clients. And uh, early on, that was my role in App Fury was onboarding retailers, hotels, restaurants to advertise location-based deals and discounts on this mobile application. Um, and I also learned in the insurance business that you learn as you go, like just because you don't have an education and it doesn't mean that you can't do it. I mean, now I'm involved in hospitality and fitness and all of these other things I have no education in, but you know, I've learned as I've gone that you learn as you go. It's, you learn by doing more so than by reading a textbook, just, you know, do it. So, um, and as the software company transitioned from a product-based company to a service-based company, my role was business development. It was bringing clients on, it was selling them uh, technology solutions, and you know I learned enough on the back-end side so that I could talk the talk. I certainly never could walk the walk of actually programming the stuff, but you know again, find great people. That's another lesson I've learned as each business I've helped build is you know you need to find great people that can execute on your passions and you need to be willing to delegate and trust them to do it. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but you have to be willing to at least try it. Okay. So chapter two is mobile app design. Yep. What's chapter three? Uh, chapter two and chapter three kind of align. Okay. So around the same time, 2008, 2009, I was getting into um, fitness again. You know, I, I played three sports in high school, track, cross country, and basketball. I played one year of basketball at Geneseo and got really into weightlifting while I was at Geneseo. 
And then after I graduated from school, my career was my focus. I was driving around 40,000 miles a year and you know, I, I had gotten out of shape. So I hired a personal trainer in maybe 2007, 2008 to try and get back into at least decent looking shape. And I did that. I was doing CrossFit type workouts with a personal trainer at Fitness Forum in DeWitt. You know, short 30 minute workouts, but a lot of intensity and some heavy lifting mixed in. Complex movements like squats and, and deadlifts and bench press. Uh, and then I also started running again. And I signed up in 2008 for the Boilermaker. And I had started to look the part again. You know, I was getting fit. Uh, you can see some muscle definition. Signed up for the Boilermaker and I was absolutely crushed after running nine miles. I was sore for about a week afterwards and you know that's when I realized there was a big difference between looking fit and being fit. So I started running again and I started focusing on like actually being fit and not just looking fit. Um, and that led to triathlon. So after competing in the Boilermaker I started running uh, fairly often and I bought a mountain bike. I started mountain biking. Mountain biking led to meeting some friends that had road bikes and these fancy triathlon bikes. And uh, one of my friends, Lauren uh, Brody, her maiden name, now Lauren Brewer, she invited me out on a training ride that she was doing with a group training for the Syracuse Half Ironman. And I showed up with a road bike and they they had these, you know, fancy triathlon bikes and I went on like a 40 or 50 mile ride with them and I was just, I was hooked. Uh, it, was, it was so beautiful and it was just fun being with other people, training and um, it just, it was so accomplished. The, the, the 50 mile ride, it just so accomplished uh, afterwards. And, uh, you know, they started talking to me about triathlon and I signed up in 2010 for my first sprint triathlon in Casanova. Um, so I had been running leading up to it. I had been biking. I started swimming maybe a month and a half to two months before the race at Gold's Gym in the pool. And that first triathlon, I almost drowned in the water. I, I had to swim with my head out of the out of the water the entire time. Doggy paddling. Yeah, I was pretty much doggy paddling, exactly. And then when I got on the bike, I passed a lot of the field. And on the run, I passed more people. And, you know, I was, I was hooked. It was another one of those sports where... Um, the, the amount of work that you put in, you're rewarded by uh, your efforts. So uh, from there I signed up for another sprint triathlon that year in Skinny Atlas and improved on my time and you know just wanted to continue to see what my body was capable of and from there you know signed up for a half Ironman the following year and it's like every distance you do just like with running you want to go farther you want to see what your body's capable of and that's what it became for me was just what is my body capable of competing with myself every single day and you know you get hooked on the numbers and just you know I'm running faster at the same heart rate my power's up at the same heart rate I'm swimming faster laps and just how far can I take this yeah it's definitely one of those things where you can see um or at least in my my experience running, because I'm I, I don't love to swim, but um, you can you can see differences not only in like you said your times and like the amount that how much effort's being expended to do this and that over time, but just the way you feel and the look and all of that does make a huge difference. Yeah, and you have sole sole control over it. You know, the future's in your hands, which I like that, and that's. I try to involve myself in things where the future is in my hands. I can dictate it. You know, no one else is dictating it for me. So the triathlons, 
Um, how many of those did you do before it became, because I know my, my, my steps were, I'm not going to run more than six miles a week. And then it was a 5K. And then it was, well, a 5K is enough. Then it was a 10K, then a half marathon, marathon. I've stopped there. But I mean, at what point were the sprints and the half Ironmen not enough? And then it was, okay, I need to really dig deep and make the jump. Yeah, so I mean, as you accomplish each goal, you push it a little further. You make a goal that's that's a little larger, and that's what I kept doing with it. Um, and again, it was more just I wanted to continue bettering myself and see how good I could get at, at this sport. So in a lot of the local races, uh, one of my friends and longtime coach, Mike Corona, he was beating me in all the races. And, you know, from my CrossFit and weightlifting background, I really looked the part and I didn't understand why I was losing all of these races. And I ended up, if you can't beat him, hire him. So I hired him as, as my coach. And I did my first half Ironman in 2011 in uh, Cambridge, Maryland. And uh, the swim, I never really excelled at. I got to a point where like, I could swim well enough to come out towards the, the back of the front pack and not be too tired in order to bike and run really well. In that race, that wasn't the case. It was a no wetsuit race. I certainly was not prepared to swim 1.2 miles without a wetsuit on. It just drained my energy. I hammered the bike thinking that I could you know, hang on for the run. It was 95, hot and humid. And I, I had a great bike time. I got out on the run. I went out at like a 6.50 pace for the first mile. The second mile dropped to about a 7.30. The third mile dropped to probably an 8.30. Uh, by mile five, I was walking. And by mile eight, I wanted to, I wanted to quit oh, wow. <laughs> with five miles to go. Um, and I ended up finishing subpar for what I had hoped I, I was going to be able to do. I had to stand underneath a fire hose for about 30 minutes after the race, um, just to, to cool down and like come to my wits again. And I told my girlfriend at the time that I was never signing up for another half Ironman, that it was just absolutely torturous. And then an hour later, I want to do a full yeah. Ironman. I want to see what that's like. <laughs> Emailing Mike, hey, I'm going to do like Placid next year. So um, under his guidance, I ended up doing five full Ironmans. I did Lake Placid in 2012 and uh, you know my goal from 2012 on I had started to really excel at the sport and it was to make it to the world championships in Kona Hawaii which is kind of the holy grail in long distance triathlon so uh, 2012 at Lake Placid I had a great race uh, my time was 10 one and I didn't know it at the time but I saw another uh, gentleman in my age group passed me at mile 25 on Mirror Lake Drive, the final stretch of the race with one mile to go. I had nothing left in, in my gas tank at all. Um, and so the next, uh, the next day I, I went to see if I had a, you know, a world championship qualifier spot. And sure enough, I missed it by one minute, by one spot. It was that person who passed me at mile 25. I didn't know it at the time that, that took that final spot. So. That was my motivation to continue training and to do Lake Placid again in, in 2013. Um, in 2013, leading up to the race, I had a major bike crash. Yeah, I was gonna ask you about that. So Yeah, it was 14 days before the race and I was on Apulia Road just uh, in Jamesville on a routine training ride. 
and I was playing with my bike computer. I had one arm on my arrow bars, one arm playing with the with the bike computer, and my arm slipped when I was going about 25 miles per hour, and I went off into a ditch and just kept rolling. I scraped my chin along the the road and. When it was happening, all I could think was, wow, I think I just lost my chin. <laughs> it just, I was skidding for so long. So uh, after I came to a halt, my bike was just completely wrecked. I was wrecked, blood everywhere, my knuckles, my hands, I had road rash everywhere. And a gentleman in a pickup truck who was going by picked me up, took me to the gas station in Jamesville, where my girlfriend at the time picked me up, went to ER, spent five hours in ER. Uh, before I finally got stitched up and I wasn't able to swim leading up to the race. When I was in ER, my first questions to the doctor that were stitching me up were, can I run tomorrow? Can I bike tomorrow? Can I swim tomorrow? I don't think you understand. I'm racing in two weeks and I have to continue training leading up to it. I was just, I was so focused at the time. That was, that was the only thing on my mind was, uh, you know, I'm so fit right now. I have to qualify for Kona. There's no way this can derail me. So uh, the next day I woke up and couldn't believe that I was asking the nurse if I could swim, bike, and run uh, because there was no way I was, I was going to swim. There was, my hand was just so poor, badly damaged. Uh, for about seven days I ended up biking with a bag on my hand just to, to maintain my aerobic fitness. I ran a couple times before the race and three days before the race was the first time I swam to just even test if I could swim leading up to a 2.4 mile swim in the race. and. Uh, I asked race officials if I could buddy tape my fingers together because the water pressure hurt so much just trying to put my hand through the water. I didn't think even buddy taped I was going to be able to, to do it. But I um, ended up racing. I buddy taped my fingers and the endorphins and adrenaline rush trumped the pain. Um, I couldn't even like grip my uh, handlebar on the bike and there's just like giant descents on that Lake Placid bike course and I got through it, you know, mind over matter. So uh, I ended up qualifying for Kona that year at Lake Placid. Was it when you got back on the bike the first time? I mean, I recognize that the fall was, you know, you're, you know, more or less texting and driving. Yeah. Um, but getting back on the bike, was it, what were the, were, was there any fear in you? Oh, yeah about getting back on the bike and knowing what could happen if you were to fall? Tremendous, tremendous fear. Uh, and I mean, to this day, I, I don't train for triathlon uh, anymore, but um, following that, I did most of my training indoors. I just, you know, it was then and there that I realized that, you know, leading up to a major race, like control all of the outcomes to the best of your ability. So I did almost all of my training indoors from then on just to avoid accidents, to avoid traffic. Uh, but yeah, it was on my mind that entire race in Lake Placid that I didn't want to fall again. And, you know, it, it just like anything, it's on your mind more so right after it happens. It started to fade gradually, but, you know, I learned my lesson that, you know, try to control the elements the best you can. And I want to talk about Kona and what that experience was like, because that's obviously a huge thing that shaped your life, because you go back to Hawaii now for other things going on. And I think that, that going to that uh, and, and maybe the two tie together, but going to that was, seems to be like it opened some doors for you. Mm -hmm. But around this time of when you qualify for Kona for the first time, it might not have been that exact moment necessarily, but it seems like looking back on it, that's where your life started to kind of take a shift away from insurance, app, you know, mobile tech business, mm -hmm. to now really trying to find a way to focus on the fitness, not only for yourself, but I think without you realizing it, 
uh, starting to lay the groundwork for what you do for all the people around you. Is that is that hundred percent true? Yeah. How? What caused that? Because not many people can say, okay, yeah, it's great. I, I've been to Kona. You know, you think the people that are the top, the winners in their age group or whatever, they're the ones that get sponsored and this and that, and they go on and probably make some form of a living on it. Mm-hmm. Not to group you with me, but people like you and me, we might get some accomplishment. And Kona is huge, the world championships, but still, there's not a whole lot of money to go around there. Mm-hmm. So what? What? What started to fire in you that said? My mind has now gone from here, from A to B. Mm-hmm. So with everything I do now, I let things happen. Uh, I'm a big believer in just collecting dots. And I know if I go through life the way I do, that I'm going to collect a lot of dots. I'm going to meet a lot of people. And that eventually they're going to align and something is going to come of it. So Kona, you know, that was a dot for me that has now allowed me to become essentially a professional adventurer. Um, and... That's something that is unique that people are interested in and it was even more so unique that, you know, I was training such long hours but also maintaining, you know, several businesses. So I realized that there was some brand behind that and, you know, I'm really big on brand and, you know, defining what that brand is and making sure that it's it's unique enough. Everyone has a unique voice. and. If you figure out what your unique voice is and put yourself out there, good things are going to come. So that was one of the building blocks for you know the stuff that I that I do now. Um, and again, you know, yeah, I didn't win Kona. You know, it's it's certainly an achievement to to go there, but it's understanding what your brand is that you build, uh, and then just getting your voice out there, which allows for opportunities for sponsorship because ultimately. Sponsorship is about influence. Can you influence people to buy someone's products? And that doesn't require having lots of medals. That requires, you know, understanding what your voice is and putting yourself out there enough in a way that you'll influence people's decisions. How did you start to come to the um, understanding of what your voice was? Like, where? Because that's a. You're, I mean, the. I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. That's a huge part of what you have figured out and, and a huge part of where kind of your inspiration for other people comes from. So how did you start to figure that out? I mean, I'm sure it's not an easy question to answer, but yeah. So, I mean, it comes down just like to any business product market fit. I figured out what my product market fit was. I figured out what made me different from the masses. And I figured out like what my value add is, what knowledge I have that is unique to me that other people would be interested in. And, you know, it's it's evolved over time and it continues to to evolve. For a long time, my identity was an Ironman triathlete. Um, and, you know, a lot of people didn't know anything else about me, that I had this insurance business, that I had this software business. I was an Ironman triathlete. So for a while, I, I rolled with that identity of Ironman triathlete and you know, that was generally the content that I was putting out, the conversations that I had with people was, you know, the diet that I that I had adapted to, what my training was like, my recovery techniques, you know, just providing as much value as I could with all of those things that I learned along the way. And, you know, I mean, it was a monthly learning process. I would always try and tweak different things and try different things uh, to see if that would enhance physical and mental performance. Um, so I realized that was something that was unique to me that, you know, 
other people may have their own formula, but I realized I had my formula and that people were, were interested in it. So that's how I, I started to build a, a unique brand to myself. And you know, it's, it's evolved since then, but I think it's really important to start fairly niche and then expand on that niche. Facebook didn't start as Facebook is today. They started on one college campus and they catered to college students. So, you know, it's it's fate it's just picking one niche, rolling with that until you have an audience and then, you know, you, you just continue to grow on that. Now you've got your hand in I mean, in my eyes, quite a few businesses to various degrees. Um, at what at what point did you did you see or, or I guess where did the opportunity come from to start that and maybe if you could and maybe if you could describe some of the businesses that you either have been or, or are currently involved in the choice is yours and um, let kind of describe how how that impacts your life what the benefit is there to you mm-hmm. and then why you feel your role in these companies is why where your place is. Mm-hmm. So my play, I love creating uh, to a fault. I absolutely love creating things, and I know that's my place. And that's come from the way I live my life. There's a great book. It's called Never Eat Alone, and I try to meet as many people as I possibly can, as many new people as I as I possibly can. Um, because I know that eventually, again, those are dots that I'm collecting and they're going to align with something. Uh, I travel a lot, I try to experience a lot of new things, and all of that adds in creating things. You know, eventually, all of those people, those places, those things you've seen align and something comes from it. So, the other businesses that I'm involved in, Urban Life Athletics, so CrossFit Gym, Indoor Cycling Studio, and Hit Studio. Original Grain, a healthy, fast, casual restaurant, uh, Fellow Gen, a media company similar to Uncrate or Gear Patrol. Those all passion projects that came from meeting people and having a shared passion and realizing that um, I had a value in you know bringing pieces together, helping to create a brand, helping to create an identity. You know, I now have. Uh, a platform to share things, you know, in front of a lot of people, so that adds value. And uh, you know, I, I try to partner with people that I know can execute on a on a shared passion and, and shared vision. So, you know, w- with everything now, I'm flying at ten thousand feet. And early on in each business, I like to be pretty involved and hands on. But you know, I'm very upfront that you know this is where I'm going to be involved. And once it's on autopilot and it's a finely tuned machine, you know, I'm. I like creating things and I'm probably going to want to move on to, to start something else. Um, now, I was reading on your website that you are a partner in another restaurant in yeah. California, which I didn't know anything about. So how did that, I mean, where did that come from? Because you're you basically based in Syracuse, but you're now spending a good chunk of the year in Boulder, Colorado, mm-hmm. which we talked about in a second. Mm-hmm. But then where did, how did the California thing come? Yeah, again, just meeting people. So I have a close friend who lives in Santa Monica that looped me into an investment deal in a, a restaurant in West Hollywood called Verlaine. And uh, the restaurateurs, they own one of my favorite restaurants in Santa Monica called Hinterland. 
and they also own one of my favorite restaurants in New York City. So, you know, I saw that, again, I, I look for people with successful track records that can walk the walk, and I saw that they had already walked the walk, and when he looped me into the deal to invest in the restaurant, I said, okay, it's a great location, and, you know, with a lot of the investments I've made, um, obviously I want to see a return on them, but I also want to meet more interesting people. And I knew this was an opportunity to meet a lot of interesting people in the entertainment industry by, by investing in it. Okay. Now, what brought you to Boulder? Boulder is Fellow Gent, the media company that I co-own. Um, and how did you start? Okay, so yep. I mean, I'm going to cut you off there. The, the media company, mm -hmm. where, where did that come from and what, uh, what does it do? Yep. So it came from my business partner, Kyle. And I met him through a company that I represent with influencer marketing called Matador. Uh, they're an outdoor adventure company. They make really cool uh, packable backpacks, blankets, hydro packs, um, just outdoor adventure stuff. So I was working with them, and Kyle is their head of marketing, so I work closely with him and helping promote their products. Is Kyle a friend of yours from way back, or is that somebody you met in one of the dots you picked up? So the last two years, a lot of the people that I've met, they come from social media. Um, a lot of people reach out to me on social media for opportunities or just to meet or chat, and he was one of those people that, okay. that reached out to me on, on social media. And uh, Fellow Gent was his baby, and I expressed interest in being involved in it. Uh, fashion is a big part of my life, lifestyle obviously, just talking about epic adventures. And then another portion of the site is designated to interviewing uh, interesting gentlemen that are pursuing their passions, creatives, athletes, business owners. And you know, I, I have a large network of people that I've met from all of my travels, and I thought that I could contribute in that way in uh, writing about my travels on the site, and then also interviewing inter interesting people that I've met uh, in my travels. So uh, that was why I went to Boulder was to meet him for the first time. We had been working already on the site together remotely for three or four months, and um, that brought me to, to Boulder, and I fell in love. Yeah, I've only been out there once. It was a long time ago, but I do recall it being absolutely spectacular. It is. So the um, okay. So we've we've covered a lot. So where are what are the biggest things that you're involved in right now, and, and kind of where do you mm -hmm. where are things kind of heading for you? Yeah. So day to day. Uh, the majority of my time, which we haven't talked a lot about yet, is spent with influencer marketing. So um, creating content for brands. It's all started in the summer of 2016. Uh, Oakley invited me to Kona to um, their, the launch for their new Radar Pace sunglasses to help them promote it and product test them. And I had a following of maybe 10,000 on Instagram at the time and, you know, hadn't really thought of Instagram as being a business. I certainly had started thinking of it as a personal brand and that, you know, I was building something, but I didn't know exactly where it was going to go. And when they invited me, all expenses paid trip to Hawaii for five days, I was like, wow, like Instagram can get me these cool trips and, you know, a sponsor like Oakley. I just, I couldn't believe it. So, um, after that, I started reaching out to more brands just to see if I could add value in promoting their products for them. And that has since now turned into 
a consulting relationship. So I'll introduce brands to other influencers that they can see product to. And I do a lot of content creation for brands. So I'm starting to get uh, handy with photography. So it's not so much just posting products on my feed, it's providing content for these brands for them to be able to post on, on their feeds. So you're taking, essentially, you're, it might not be this simple, but you're taking the pictures and providing it to them out in the natural world instead of in a studio. You got it. So it's, it's their products, how it is used, you know, lifestyle photos instead of just product images. So you've, and I do want to hear about like your daily routine because that was one of the questions I certainly answered. You know, are there, your daily routine, are there things that get done every day? Is there a daily mantra? What I do want to get into that. Um, the, you mentioned briefly before about you finding the other potential influencers. How did that come about and how do you, do you just reach out to these people or are they people that you know? How does that all come about? Yep. Uh, so through influencer marketing, through trips, you know, fitness trips, um, I've met a lot of personal trainers. I've met a lot of business owners, and you know, a number of them have sizable followings on social media. You know, within their industry, so it, it's mainly just come from uh, being actively involved, pumping out content on social media, and meeting people in real life. And a lot of them are in the fitness world. Uh, that's you know a passion that is very dear to me, and it's very easy to meet uh, other people in fitness whenever I travel somewhere. Okay, so now let's visit the de- let's visit the day to day. So I know you're all over the place, but there are I know that there are core things that you hang on to every single day. Mm-hmm. Tell us what those are. Yeah. So the keys for me to perform at a high level. I have to get at least an hour, generally two to three hours of exercise in. Um, And right now I'm training for the CrossFit Open, so it's a lot of CrossFit training. Eating healthy and recovery. So um, my day, I wake up generally around 7 or 7.30. I start with coffee and I've been making an acai bowl at home. Um, and then I take a long walk. I, I walk into urban life every single day that I'm here in Syracuse, about a little over a mile walk. And when I'm in Denver, I walk two and a half miles to Denver Central Market. Um, that just gets my creative juices flowing by moving first thing in the morning, taking a walk, seeing things. Um, otherwise, I feel like you know I'm just kind of stuck. I, I don't have a lot of creative thought. Uh, so I like starting my day with that. Uh, I work out for an hour, hour and a half, uh, around 10 o'clock every single day. And then I go to my restaurant here in Syracuse, Original Grain, for a healthy salad. When I'm in Denver, I'll go pretty much to the same rotation of places for the same menu items that I know are going to be satiating, but I'll feel good afterwards. And I always combine lunches and dinners with meetings. So I generally don't take meetings outside of between uh, 12.30 and 2 o'clock or after 5 o'clock because those other times that's when I'm creating content or, you know, getting my my fitness routine in. Uh, When I'm in Syracuse, uh, at least two to three times a week, I go visit an infrared sauna, Sonicuse. Uh, and I take a salt bath every single night, a hot Epsom salt bath for an hour. 
uh, religiously. When I'm in Denver, I spend about an hour and a half at Denver Sports Recovery, which uh, they have a hot tub, they have a cold tub, they have an infrared sauna. I'll just do a little rotation of, of those. And also there, I mean, that's where I meet a lot of people, a lot of like-minded people, entrepreneurs, athletes, creatives. Um, and I get a lot of work done while I'm doing that. I'll answer emails. Uh, again, almost everything I do, I do it so that you know, it's obviously good for me physically, but also mentally. These things, they release endorphins. They just really get my creative juices flowing, so I feel like I'm in a, a flow state throughout the entire day. Um, and then at night is honestly when I do most of my, what most people would consider work, like actually sitting at a desk and, you know, getting through email and um, doing actual work. The, the remainder of the day is spent either meeting people, working out, creating content, um, essentially broadcasting my life now on, on social media kind of as a reality TV show for the influencer marketing stuff. For the people who want to start to um, bring more inspiration to their life, bring more productive, um, self-improving, I'm not really sure what the exact word is, but they want to bring more fulfillment to their life instead of just waking up, working out, going to work, coming home, doing the dishes and going to bed. Looking back on all this, what are some of the things that you that you can say that you can share to people? And it, me, there's a lot that you've offered, but what are some of the biggest things that you people could do, in your opinion, to start to bring more happiness, bring more joy, bring more freedom, whatever that means to their to their to their lives and the people around them? Yeah. So I mean, the biggest key is being mindful. So many people just go through the motions and think that's what they have to do is just go through the motions. Um, if you're just starting, I tell people to write things down. Like, if you were really happy today, what were those things that you did that made you really happy? If you have a lot of negative energy and negativity, then what were those things that, that you did that day that, that caused that? And, you know, so much of that is affected by the people that you're surrounded by, um, the food that you eat your daily routines, if you're sitting in traffic, you know, of course these things are going to make you upset. So it's figuring out those things that bring negative energy and then figuring out those things that bring positive energy and eventually you get to a point where you nix out almost all of those things that bring negative energy and you start to understand when to say yes and when to say no. Um, like I'm, I'm very mindful whenever a new opportunity comes up, whenever someone asks me to do something based on, you know, past happiness, I assess whether or not that's going to give me positive energy or negative energy. I think that's a big thing. I mean, that's one thing that I found through yoga and meditation is in, in the last few years, especially is not letting the negative dominate your life because we all too often get sucked down in it. And that's really where the podcast kind of grew from was trying to eliminate that. So, I mean, that's certainly powerful words that I try to live by. Yeah. I mean, to a fault, I consume only the content that I want to consume. I don't watch the news. It's mainly negative. Um, you know, I associate myself with positive people that bring me positive energy. So it's, it's figuring out those things that give you positive energy. And the more ways that you find that, the more people you hang out with that give you that, the more places you travel to, the more things you do that bring positive energy, you start to just become, you know, you're in a flow state all the time. Is there one small thing that, um, you know, where people can start to kind of fuck begin to develop their dreams or thought because I sit at my desk and I'm like oh man I want to do this I want to do that but I mean it's 
it's one thing to sit there and you can think about it and think about it, but you've done a lot of these things and, and you've had ideas pop into your mind and, and and things fall into your lap and you've actually made them, I, I, I'm sure more have come into your lap than um, you've actually done, but you've made a far huge number of them uh, actually come to realization. Mm -hmm. What, what's one or two things that, that you could leave with people before we end today to get them to further that one that one spark that comes into their mind? Yeah, I mean, take the first step. That's key. I mean, with everything I have going on right now, I also have like a first step into a bunch of other things. And I know some of them are going to come to fruition and some of them probably aren't going to come to fruition because you can only do so much. But again like the more risks you take the the more risk adverse you become um, so you have to just take that first step that's key and side hustle you know you can do it after your job instead of watching TV do that that you're really passionate about and you know again it's it's figuring out those things that just bring you a lot of positive energy and surrounding yourself by those things those people and when you do that you know, your mind is going to be firing and you're going to have energy to, to tackle this stuff and you're going to want to continue creating and you're going to want to take that, that first step to, to do something. Well, I, man, Eric, I really appreciate making the time. I, I know that, I mean, clearly you in Syracuse, I mean, a lot, a lot of people, I can't say everybody, but a lot of people know who you are and maybe don't know you personally. And, you know, I, the people that do know you personally are certainly better for it. Um, and it's, it's really incredible what you do and incredible how you inspire more people to be fit and people like me to start podcasts and people to open up new restaurant ventures and do all sorts of things. So I really appreciate your time. Um, please keep up the good work and, um, you know, best of luck with everything you have going on going forward. And we'll all make sure we catch you on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tyler. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Today's episode was produced by me, Tyler Cagwin. The background music was provided, as always, by Soul Rising. Find him on iTunes, Spotify, or basically anywhere you can listen to music. His website's www.soulrising.com. You can find him at Soul Rising on Instagram. Make sure to visit our website, www.omtravelers.com, in the podcast section for today's show notes and links to the places and things Eric discussed in the episode. Hope you enjoyed it and see you next time. Namaste.